We um, we have been in a conversation the last couple of weeks about who Jesus is. Normally, most of the year, what we talk about in here is what Jesus is teaching us, how we can be like Jesus, how we can how we can put into practice the things He's teaching us as His disciples. But for the last couple of weeks, and and every so often we do this, we we think about who Jesus is. Why, why are we listening to it to what He teaches us about all the other things? So so we're spending some time looking at who Jesus is, and our guide in this conversation is some is, is an old document, a very old document called the Apostles' Creed. It, it dates from the 8th century, and parts of it go back as far as the 2nd century. So that is our guide, and it talks about who God is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the middle part talks specifically about who Jesus is, and we've been working our way through it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we began with Jesus as the only Son of God. The The next thing we looked at was Jesus uh, con- being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Her- Virgin Mary, and then we um, looked last week at suffering under Pontius Pilate and crucifixion. And today we're going to look at um, Jesus uh, being um, being uh, dead and buried. The next two words in that um, in that sequence. And um, if you if you missed some of those messages, they're online, so you you can catch up there. But um, today we're gonna we're gonna look at the the idea that Jesus was dead and buried. And so. Why Why does the uh, Apostles' Creed say that? Why is that important? If you're trying to summarize everything in the New Testament in just uh, that much that much material, that that many words, why would you why would you say, well, they need to remember that Jesus was dead and buried? Why would you do that? Well, part of the reason the the easy one is why would you say he was buried? And the reason is that Jesus was dead. That that's the reason people get buried is because they are dead. And the the idea here is to remind us that Jesus was in fact dead. Because because as early as the 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 as Easter Sunday, people began saying, well, he wasn't really dead. He was he was you know swooned or he fainted or something like that. So that was a that was an argument people used against it. And it was saying no, he was he was not only dead, he was buried. And it it summarizes everything between his death and his his burial. So. There's about 1,200 words in the New Testament, um, just in the biographies of Jesus that speak about this. So we heard one of those um, uh, examples from from Luke's biography. But there's uh, there's it's repeated in all, or it's um, it's told the story is told in each of the biographies of Jesus, and then it's referenced a lot in in the other New Testament documents. So there's no there's no real doubt in the in the um, in the the New Testament that Jesus was actually dead, and in fact. Um, the what what there is 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 a great amount of documentation about the particulars of his death. For example, in Mark's biography, we read that that Jesus died quickly. He died after only six hours on the cross, and and that was rare. Most people died over a course of a couple of days, and Pilate wondered if Jesus was already dead. So that surprised him, and he called the centurion to find out. You know. I've been told people came back from the crucifixion and said Jesus had died, and I want to make sure. So he sends a centurion with the job of ensuring that Jesus is in fact dead. The Romans knew how to make sure people were dead, and so he sends somebody to, to double-check on this. So why did he do that? Well, because the temple authorities came to him and they said, hey, normally people die over a couple of days, but it's, it's the big festival uh, and we don't want... To have every pilgrim who comes into town walking past three guys who are groaning in agony. So how about if you kill them quickly? So that was not the normal um, way things worked, but they asked Pilate to do that, and Pilate said, "Okay." So 
Um, he sent soldiers to break the legs of the two men who were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they didn't break his legs. And However, the Romans knew how to make sure people were dead, so one of them put a spear into his side. And um, the blood and water, the fluid from his body came out. So, he was dead. And and if there's still any, you know, well, maybe somehow, you know, he survived the, the spearing and everything else that had happened to him. Um, uh, we read he was buried. You know, uh, this Joseph of Arimathea took the, first of all, he went to Pilate and got permission. Then he took the body uh, and uh, carried the body someplace to, to wherever the, the tomb was. And then they wrapped up the body. Jesus was dead. There's no, there's no reason in the New Testament to doubt the death of Jesus. It's it's what happens after this that makes people go, well, really? Because, you know, how could he rise again, right? Maybe he was never dead. And so the New Testament spends quite a lot of time giving us all the details so we don't have any reason to doubt, no, Jesus was well and truly dead. There's no, there's no reason to question that except for the fact that he then rose. So that's, that's why he was buried. But that doesn't answer the question, why did he die? What, what is, what do we learn from the fact that Jesus died? What, what is the important uh, things we can take away from that? And the answer is, uh, there's a lot of different pictures. The, the big word for this is a mystery. In other words, um, uh, we will probably never understand exactly why Jesus died. But the New Testament gives us a lot of different pictures. So if you imagine that, that it is, it is a diamond. And you're holding it in your hand and looking at it from different angles. You see different facets and it sparkles in different ways. That's the way that people have described the different examples that are used in the New Testament. Not that anyone is completely, um, uh, carries the whole picture, but each one is accurate. So, um, so a group of them have to do with the idea of sacrifice. That by dying, Jesus provided a sacrifice for us. Now, Sacrifice is one of those church things, and we don't do it anymore. We don't have sacrifices in churches anymore, so it's hard for us to really understand what the whole idea was behind sacrifice. And when somebody like me stands up in front of you and starts using words like expiation and propitiation, that um, makes it even harder to understand. It doesn't help. It makes it harder. So I'm going to stick with the idea of sacrifice. So uh, we understand sacrifice, at least in, in some sense. We understand it in the ordinary sense of of you, you talk to somebody and says, well, we were, we were, um, trying to buy a house, so we sacrificed until we had saved up enough so that we could buy a house. We sacrificed. Or we sacrificed so our kids could go to college. Or we, we sacrificed in that sense. We are, we are giving up something good in exchange for something better, something we want more. We want this because it's good, but we want this other thing even more. So we sacrifice. That's the basic idea of sacrifice. And that's really the same even in religions that practice different kinds of sacrifice. So that's what, that's the way the system worked in uh, ancient Judaism. There was a temple system. And when, when you wanted something, uh, you would go to God. And, and pagan religions were like this too. You wanted something, you'd bring a goat to the temple and they would sacrifice the goat there. And then the God would give you better crops or they'd make you fertile or whatever, whatever the thing it was you wanted, you would ask for it and you'd bring a sacrifice. You would sacrifice something good in order to get something better. So that's, that's the big idea behind sacrifice. And, and what we read is that um, Jesus is that goat. Jesus is, in fact, the Lamb of God. John John describes him this way um, in uh, uh, John's biography. He says, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he told his disciples, Look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that Jesus is that sacrifice. So um, Jesus is the sacrifice uh, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you think about it, right, I, I if, if I want something from God, and I do, I want eternal life, I want the blessings of, of life um, now and in the age to come. So I, I want that, right? And I'm, you know, you know, sorry, I would be, I would cheerfully sacrifice a goat in exchange for that. In fact, if you told me I could have it and it was a hundred goats, I'd figure out how much goats cost and I, I would get, get those goats, right? But, but if you said, how about Margot? How about my family? I'd go, wait, how many goats are we talking about here? Do you get a discount, you know, a group discount? I'd start wondering, how many goats are we talking about here? And then if you said, well, what about your friends? And I'd say, my good friends? <laughs> my best friends? Or just kind of random people? How about that, that uh, uh, office politician? How about the neighbor that drives you nuts? How about Vladimir Putin? How many goats would you spend to save Vladimir Putin? How many goats would you have to spend for all the people in the world? Well, the answer is there aren't that many goats. There just aren't that many goats. So, God provides the perfect sacrifice. God loves us. Um, Paul says, uh, John says in, in his letter, he says, this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sin. He's, I have to put this away. I keep fiddling with it. So he sent, he sent his son um, to be the sacrifice because there aren't enough goats for, and honestly, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, no offense, but there's only so many goats I'm going to buy. And so I'd have to parcel, parcel them out. But God is different for me. God loves people more than I do. And so he didn't just send a goat. He sent his son. The thing that he loves most, the, the one that God loves most, the thing of ultimate value in this universe, he sent to be the sacrifice for our sins. And... There's there's a question. What what do we do with this? What you know, the, even getting our head wrapped around sacrifices is, is troublesome. But but the, the question is, okay, well, okay, now what? Well, you know, okay, so so Jesus is the sacrifice. Well, the 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 application I think all of us can relate to is if if we think about sacrifices, we usually think about it in arrears, right? We're in some kind of a jam. Right, the doctor gave us bad news, or the cops' lights are in the, the the rearview mirror, and we're thinking, "God, get me out of this, and I will make a sacrifice." And whatever the sacrifice is, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll pay. I'll start tithing. I'll, I'll do whatever, God. You know, I will book a trip to Jerusalem. You know, I will. I will do whatever you say, but get me out of this. So we think about sacrifice oftentimes in arrears. That, that we want to bargain with God. I'll do something with God uh, if he will first do this thing. And, you know, the, 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 the problem with that is we, we typically forget what we promised or we, we only kind of phone it in. But, but you can forget that because, because Jesus has already made the sacrifice, right? Whatever it is, right? Get me out of this, God, because your son has died for me. 
And you say, well, boy, that seems pretty crass. But Paul tells us that's exactly the way we should look at it. In his letter to the Romans, he says, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he freely give us everything else? All these good things. So Paul says, that's exactly the way you should think about it. Don't start bargaining with God and say, if you do this, I'll do that. It's like, since you did this, can you do this other thing? That's what God wants us to see Jesus' sacrifice as. So, that's the first facet that we can look at in terms of why Jesus died. There's another one, which is the idea that Jesus is a substitute. And to talk about this, we have to talk about sin. And, and again, that's a church word, and it's got a lot of baggage. You know, you hear about it, you know, some decadent chocolate dessert might be sinful. But other than that, it's pretty much a church word, and it's got a lot of baggage with it. So, instead of sin, we need to understand that in the first century, the word for sin, the word sin meant it was it was a term from archery, and it meant you missed the bullseye, that you didn't hit the bullseye, and so you can see whoever whoever took that picture. There was a lot of sinning going on. There was a lot of missing the bullseye. So um, so that's that's the idea, and you know if you if you put it in that, that term, you know it's like of course we all sin, right? Who doesn't sin, right? I sometimes I sin because I'm pointing at the wrong target. I'm not even aimed in the right direction. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's your story. Maybe, maybe that explains the 20s, okay? You know, when you were in your 20s, that you were pointed in the wrong direction. Maybe it explains that, that relationship, that disastrous relationship. Maybe, maybe that's the problem is you were just facing in the wrong direction. You're not even aiming at the target. But I think more often than that, it's like we, we have the right target. We're trying to hit the bullseye when we just fail, right? We're, we're sloppy or we're tired or we're weak or, or we're just not a very good shot. And so we miss the target. And if you think every time you've ever said, oh, I'm sorry, or uh, I didn't mean to do that, right? Every time you say, you know, I, I was aiming at the bullseye, but I didn't hit it. If you've ever found yourself saying to, saying to somebody, look, I know, I know, I'll make it up to you. That's, that's a sin. That's, that's where you have aimed at a target and you failed to hit it. So that's, that's the idea of sin. And, um, with that in mind, now, you know, you've got this idea of archery. Now imagine an archery contest. And here's the rules. If you miss the bullseye, you pay me a dollar. And if you hit the bullseye, I say good. <laughs> good job. The goal is to always hit the bullseye, right? You know, who would have a goal? It's like, no, you know, is there any other goal? You hit the bullseye some fraction of the time? No, the goal is always to hit the bullseye. So when you hit it, I say, good. And if you miss it, you say a dollar, you pay me a dollar. Well, what happens? You can only accumulate debt, right? You can never make it up to me because the next shot, you're still supposed to hit the bullseye. You can't improve on the bullseye. You can't ever get ahead. So that's the problem with sin, is it only accumulates. So what do you do if, you know, after you've made a couple of hundred shots and you owe me a couple of hundred dollars, um, what are you going to do, right? You can't pay that because you haven't accumulated anything. You, you have no surplus. So you're in debt. What do you do? Well, you could ask a friend, but you know, if you think about your friends, right, they probably have missed the bullseye even more often than you have, right, you know. These losers, right? You know, who are you, who are you gonna ask for help, right? They can't help you. And you don't have any, any, any surplus that you could help them with. Who could possibly help you? Well, only somebody who's never missed the bullseye. 
right? They have credit. They can go and say, hey, I'll take their debt. Here, you can have all I've got. I'll pay for them. That's the idea. That's the idea. And so Jesus is a substitute. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. That's that's how Jesus is a substitute. He picked up the tab. He paid the bill, right? He he said, "All right, you can't you obviously can't pay. I'll pay that for you." That's that's the idea of a substitute. And he, the writer to the Hebrews says, "He did this not just for a few lucky people, right? He did it for everyone." And the reason he could do that is because God is not a cold-hearted accountant. God is not saying, "I want the, you know, I've got my green eye shade on and I'm going to make sure the book's exactly balanced. God is saying, look, I'll take pennies on the dollar, right? I'm a generous God, right? But I can't simply ignore the fact you've been missing those targets, right? You know, think about it. If, 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 if Dennis does me wrong, okay, and God looks at Dennis and goes, God, don't worry about it. It's Luke, <laughs> right? How am I going to feel, right? How am I going to feel if God ignores the way I've been hurt? Right? There has to be some justice. But at the same time, God is saying, look, uh, there has to be some justice, but you can't get blood from a stone. I can't, I can't improve on the past. It, it is what it is. So, so yes, there is, there is a penalty, and Jesus pays the penalty. So, we might say, well, yeah, yeah, but, but why does Jesus take pennies on the dollar? I mean, why does God take pennies on the dollar? Why is he willing to accept one perfect life for all the billions of people who've missed the target? Isn't that unfair? Isn't that unfair? And it is unfair. It's unfair in the very best way. Let me explain. In the first century, there was an idea that if if two armies had a battle, okay, and each side lost some prisoners, right? They they each lost some some, uh, members of their army to the other side. They were taken prisoner. What did you do? Well, after after the battle, you would exchange your prisoners, You'd say, okay, you know, you know, you give me ten of ten of ours, and I'll give you ten of yours, right? So that would be the way you'd sort things out. You'd you'd give back the prisoners. But what if what if um so 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 you'd you'd give back the prisoners? You'd do a prisoner swap. But what if in the course of that fight, your side captured somebody who is very valuable, a general or the 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 son of the king? Well, would you just say, all right, we'll trade him for any random prisoner you've got? No. You'd say, I want lots of prisoners in return for this one. Right? You'd say, and, and better yet, picture you're in that prison camp over there. You'd be saying, well, there's a whole bunch of us over here. You'd be, you'd be saying, I hope that they bargain hard and get a whole lot of us back in exchange for that high value prisoner. So it is unfair. It's unfair in the very best way. So, that's that's the idea, and um, the the word for that in the first century is ransom. So we still talk about you know kidnappers who who want to ransom. It's the idea of you 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 pay to get something back. So all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Paul tells us in Romans, but all are treat, treated as righteous freely by His grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. So Jesus is that ransom. Now. Here's, here's uh, again, the problem we keep facing. Would you do that? Right? Let's suppose, let's suppose that after the battle, you looked around and you said, they captured a million of the people on my side, and we didn't capture anybody on their side. 
So some but one of us is going to have to volunteer to ransom those back, right? And it's got to be somebody of high value. So they look at the son of the king and say, what do you think? You want to volunteer, right? And what would the king say? Well, I mean, the the, the son, the, the prince. What would the prince say? The prince would say, Ah, you know, this is why I get paid the, the big bucks. Hopefully that's what he says, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to do, particularly since you know what's going to happen. As soon as he gets on the other side, they're going to, they're going to flog him. They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they're going to stick him up on a cross and let him die in public, right? That's what they would do. So the prince says, okay, I'll do that. I want our prisoners back. And so he does. And that leads us to the last facet, which is that by dying, Jesus provides an example for us. Because that was hard. I can't imagine how hard that would be. Jesus told his disciples, they he was talking to a woman at a well, And they came back and said they'd gotten some food. And he said, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and completing his work. He says, this is what sustains me, doing the will of the one who sent me. And later on, he says, this is not just a one-shot thing when I'm hungry. It's something I always do. I characteristically do what makes God happy. So I'm going to give you one more illustration. I've I've got about eight here that we're juggling here, so I hope... I hope we can follow this. So, so I've been talking about prisoners. Uh, let's imagine instead, let's imagine this scenario, okay? There's a, still a million people or, or hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, right? There's, there's a lot of people. But now instead of being prisoners, they're a crowd standing someplace. And barreling down on them at high speed is an out-of-control steamroller, okay? And it's a great big steamroller because it can roll over all of them. Okay, or they're lined up or something, I don't know. So they're all at risk. And by the way, you're in that crowd. Okay, but there's a guy off to the side, and he's talking on his phone. And he says, yeah, I'm watching this. This is going to be really ugly. And then you, you can hear him, and he's going, he's, he's saying, oh, really? Every steamroller? All steamrollers have a weakness? That if you jump under them at just the right moment... In just the right way, you can disable them. The, 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 the roller wheel will break into pieces and the steamroller will come to a halt. Now, would you do that? Would you run over in front of the steamroller at that point? Would you do that? Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus showed us. He said, I love this plan. This is a great plan. And he runs in front of the steamroller. And he disables it. By dying, Jesus defeated death. And we know it wasn't easy. We read that when he was in the garden, he prayed to his father, if it's possible that this cup be taken away unless I drink it, then let it be what... Um, if it's possible, then, um, then, then take it away. But otherwise, let it be what you want. I'll do what you want. I trust you. I, I trust you completely. You tell me this improbable thing about steamrollers and, and jumping in front of them that just by being crushed by a steamroller in just the right way, 
I can be, I can save everybody else? He says, I'll do it. And so he does. And we read in, we read in uh, the letter to the Corinthians that the day will come when we will face death and we will say, we'll do an end zone dance. We'll point in his face and say, death has been swallowed up by victory. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting? That Jesus will, has disabled death. Jesus has put an end to death by his sacrifice, by jumping in front of the steamroller. That Jesus is an example. And so the, the lesson for us is when the phone rings and it's God and he says, I know something you don't know. I know your future. I know your past. I know something that you're not aware of and I want you to do this thing. He's probably not going to ask you to jump in front of a steamroller. I would, I would be stunned if he asked anybody to do that. But he's going to say something. He's going to say, you know, increase your giving. He's going to say decrease your giving. He's going to say something that you wouldn't expect and doesn't make any sense to you. And Jesus is an example. Trust what God says. Make it your habit to always do what makes your father happy. Let it be your sustenance. Be fed by doing the will of your heavenly Father. Jesus is a sacrifice. Jesus is a substitute. And Jesus is an example. Let's pray. Loving God, uh, the, the, the death of your son Jesus for us is a mystery. And if we thought about it for 2,000 years, as your church has we would only begin to get glimpses of its depth and its richness. But they show us these examples that you give us in the New Testament. They show us how much it cost. And they show us how certain your victory is. We ask you, Lord, to help us to to quit bargaining, to not worry about somehow buying you off with a sacrifice, knowing that the greatest sacrifice has already been given. Lord, help us to tell the other prisoners that we've all been ransomed out. And Lord, help us to follow you the way Jesus did. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.